Uh, welcome everyone to Mosaic uh, once more. Um, I'm Pastor Dave. I'm one of the pastors here on staff. You know, I'm here to introduce Pastor Stevens, but before we do and before the worship team walks off of Earsight, um, I, I don't know if you felt it, but um, I really felt that the Lord blessed our worship today. And it was like uh, he sent a choir of angels uh, to lead us in worship today. So thank you uh, to the worship team and thank you to the Holy Spirit uh, who sent us his spirit as we worshiped him together. Um, I was deeply fed by the worship and I was um, intensely led um, by your heart and the Holy Spirit. So thank you. Um, and I look forward to our closing worship uh, together. Um, it was so great. Uh, today we have <clears throat> the honor um, of uh, introducing you uh, to Pastor Stevens, uh, who, Stevens, Pastor Steven Simmons, okay? Um, he is our associate pastor candidate that we want to introduce to you. As you know, uh, many of you, starting in January, we started to look for an associate pastor who would come in um, and build up our small groups, our discipleship, and our community groups at Mosaic after uh, Pastor Joseph's transition to the mission field. Um, it has not been an easy process, but we have had some really great uh, brothers um, apply to this position. Um, and today afternoon at 2 o'clock, I'll tell you a little bit more about the, the full process we went through, and I'll, I'll go into detail. But today, I just want to let you know that we had a search committee um, who received candidates and uh, interviewed them, vetted them, and then it, they go on to the elders phase. And in the elders phase, we go through a whole different vetting process. And Pastor Stephen was the one out of all the candidates that we felt uh, was the best candidate uh, for us at this time to present to the congregation. Today, um, he is going to be bringing us his, uh, God's word. Uh, today, he is preaching from the suburbs of Chicago, which is kind of a similar situation to us. The suburbs of Chicago, maybe about an hour out from that city where he's preaching. Um, that's where he is a pastoral residence, resident at Grace Presbyterian Church. And um, he does a plethora of different ministries, but we feel um, that he's uh, the best candidate that we've seen uh, for our church, not just to do the work, but also to become a part of our Mosaic family together. And so today, uh, we're going to go through the process of getting to know him and discerning in the spirit. But this is not just a sermon um, as a part of the interview process. This is also the word of God, living and active, coming to Mosaic, coming to you because the Lord sees a need in your heart for his word. And so today, I want to introduce to you Pastor Stephen, um, and we're all going to join together um, in this word together. So please join me as we receive God's word. Well, hello, Mosaic Christian Fellowship. It is so good to be with you, even though it's in a virtual format. My name is Stephen, and I'm streaming to you from Chicago, from the North Shore of Chicago, where my wife and I currently live. And I'm recording this sermon at our church, where I currently serve on staff as a pastoral resident it's so great to meet you, and I look forward to uh, meeting you all later on this afternoon. Before we get into our passage, I'd love to just take a few minutes to introduce myself a little bit, as well as introduce my family. As I said, I'm streaming to you from uh, the Chicagoland area, but I was actually born in the Northern Virginia area, right outside of Washington, D.C., in Fairfax, if, you, if you're familiar with that area. Um, I was born the second of five children, so I come from a pretty big family. And from a young age, I was taught the good news of the gospel, that I was created in love and yet was by nature a sinner in need of grace. And my family were members of a very healthy local church. 
And I think it was these two things, uh, the, the, uh, just the ministry of my family, the gospel witness of my parents, and also the gospel witness of a good, healthy local church that the Lord used to draw me to himself at a pretty early and young age. But before considering becoming a pastor, in fact, I never thought that I would become a pastor as a, as a kid, uh, I wanted more than anything to become an army officer. So I attended West Point, which is the Army's military academy. It's actually just about 50 miles north of you all, where you are in New Jersey. But during that time, and a little bit of time after I graduated, um, I was very much walking away from the Lord. And even though I grew up in a family, uh, in a loving family that taught me about Jesus, I still struggled in living in rebellion of, of all of that when I went out on my own. I just wanted to have fun or I just wanted to be popular. I lived as though all those things that I said I believed weren't actually true. And if God weren't so loving, he would, he would have had every reason to deny me just with all the times that I denied him throughout my life. But I learned that God pursues those he loves and does not let them be lost forever. The Bible uses this analogy in the New Testament uh, of a sheep who has wandered off from the flock and the loving shepherd who leaves his entire flock to go after this one sheep. And that's what God did for me. He did this through his son, Jesus, and through the local church. So I'm gonna tell you a little bit about my experience with the local church. After I graduated from, from West Point, I moved to a city in Western Georgia called Columbus. And even though I was living in rebellion, uh, to God, God through his spirit drew me to a church where I heard the gospel again. And I realized that I was just living a life that was inconsistent with Christ's call on my life. And just over time, I grew in my desire to please God with everything that I uh, did. So the Lord had used, uh, it, it, was, it was also during this time that God was growing in me just this deep love for the, for the local church. He had used the church so powerfully in my life for my good and for my growth. And so I started thinking about becoming a pastor at this point. I had served five and a half years of active duty time as an army officer. And after I finished my time with the army, I moved back to the Washington DC area to complete a nine month pastoral internship. And then after that, I moved here to the Chicago area to attend seminary. And uh, by the way, it was here in the Chicago area where I met and married my lovely wife, Sarah. You should be seeing a picture of her, we met through some mutual friends. And Sarah grew up in the Chicago area, uh, but she went to college in Minnesota and she, she moved uh, to Florida and both Texas for work, for her work. And eventually she moved back to the Chicago area where we met also for her, for her job. And we got married in the summer of 2019. So we, we just got in there in time, just before the pandemic to have like a full wedding and everything. And it's very exciting. Now we're expecting our first child, a little girl. And really, she's coming any day now. I hope she doesn't come this weekend because I really want to meet with you guys. Uh, she's just right around the corner. And so Sarah and I are excited to explore this possibility of joining with you, possibly visiting with you maybe early summer um, as we explore what the Lord, uh, where the Lord might be leading us and also what the Lord might be uh, which, which man the Lord might be leading you to as a church uh, for your next associate pastor. So thanks for inviting me to preach this morning. Well, now let's uh, transition to God's word. And I'm gonna invite you to turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter two. Acts chapter two, we're gonna be reading 
verses 42 to 47. So Acts chapter 2, verses 42 to 47. I chose this passage because it reveals really what I love about the local church and the life of the local church. Um, so again, we're reading Acts, two, chap, uh, cha- uh, sorry, Acts chapter 2, verses 42 to 47. This is what it says. It says, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let me pray for us before we look at this passage. Great God in heaven, I give you thanks for just this wonderful picture of the early life of your church. Father, I pray that you would clear away any distractions in our minds as we turn to your word. And Lord, I pray that you would give us an abiding love for your church and a desire to live the way that you've called us. And in your son's name I pray, amen. Well, I am sure that you all would agree that this past year has been really tough for local church life. In fact, I can't think of any circumstances where things could be tougher, maybe other than like a time of persecution. Um, And I'm sure the question for you as a church, Mosaic, has has been how to keep church life uh, going when getting together isn't possible, or at least it's limited. And that's been the question that churches all around the world have been asking. It's, it's been tough. <laughs> Not only has social distancing made church life difficult, but oftentimes there are cases of division that arise within our churches. Division over mask policies or other safety measures have driven us apart in the church. And some of us are more comfortable uh, with risk. And so we're willing to like do whatever it takes in order to gather in person. But others of, others of us are, are being more cautious. We're concerned about our own health. We're concerned about the health of others, the health of our communities. And, and they'd rather play it more safe. So a lot of these divisions have arisen in the past year that make church life difficult. But also a lot of people have been asking, what will church look like on the other side of the pandemic? Will there be sort of like fundamental shifts in how we do church life or church ministry? Who's even gonna come back? That's an open question. Is Zoom and live streaming just part of the norm now? Is it, is it gonna be a permanent fixture for, for church ministries or of Sunday mornings? In other words, a lot of people are asking, what is the path forward? What will the life of the local church look like tomorrow? Well, with all these questions swirling around us, I think it's good for us to return to those very fundamental things that the church should always be doing. What are those essential things to the life of a living church? And that's what I love about this passage in Acts 2. It gives us a snapshot of how the early church conducted itself. And this early church, their circumstances aren't so different from our own 
Now, of course, there was no pandemic, but in a similar way, they were entering into a new chapter, just as we are as we emerge from this pandemic. Think about it. Jesus has just risen. He's ascended into heaven. He's promised to return. And now the Holy Spirit has been poured out on these new Christians, and thousands have come to faith in Christ. And now this new church, this new group of believers in Jesus that is situated in Jerusalem is just, is just figuring out what life together looks like in this new era, this new chapter. And what I love about this passage is that this model, or I'm sorry, that, uh, is that it's offered to us as a model for what the church should always be doing. Now, sure, the, very, the practical things in ministry may vary. Those things may change. Uh, they may vary between cultures. They may vary throughout history in different social contexts. But the fundamentals should always be the same. So what should we be doing in this next chapter and coming out of the pandemic, this next chapter of church life? Well, I think that this passage teaches us that we should be getting back to the basics back to what the church has always been called to do. Now, I recognize that some of you may have not grown up in the church, and that's fine. In fact, be encouraged. This church, these, these believers in Acts 2, they didn't grow up in the church either. They were the first generation of, of Christians. And then others of you may have come from very deeply dysfunctional church backgrounds. Well, don't let this passage fool you. The early church had tons of dysfunction too. All you gotta do is read the rest of Acts, you can pick up 1st or 2nd Corinthians. It's just full of dysfunction. But it's here in this passage where we see what we should always be aiming for. What are the goals of our church life? And I think these goals are this. So God calls the church to be devoted to his word, to fellowship, to mutual care, and to public worship. So those are going to be sort of my three things. Three, three main points here, that God calls the church to be devoted to his word, to fellowship and to mutual care, and to public worship. So first, let's start with how the church is called to be devoted to the word of God. Well, look with me at verse 42. It says that they, these new early Christians, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Who were these apostles, though? Well, the word apostle basically just means messenger. Uh, but it's clear in the book of Acts that there is a special group of apostles. And, and that group is really just the original 12 disciples of Jesus minus Judas. Remember in the Passion narrative at the end of all the Gospels, Judas betrays Jesus. He ends up killing himself. But then at the end of Acts 1, the disciples decided that they needed to replace Judas, that there needed to be 12 of them. But they didn't just choose his replacement randomly. They, they wanted somebody who'd been with them, not, not part of the core 12 disciples, but somebody who had followed Jesus from the beginning of his ministry, because as you might know, Jesus had other disciples than just the core group of the 12. They, they, and they wanted somebody who had witnessed Jesus' resurrection. So listen to what Peter says should be the qualifications of this next apostle. Uh, if you have your Bibles, you can just look a little bit further back in Acts 1, starting in verse 21. Peter says, One of the men who have accompanied us during all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, 
beginning from the baptism of John, that's Jesus's baptism, the very beginning of his public ministry, until the day when he was taken up from us. So until his ascension, one of these men must become with us a witness to his resurrection. He must become a witness to his resurrection. That's what the apostles were primarily. They were witnesses of Jesus's resurrection. So Jesus had died on the cross, he was buried, but these men had seen the risen Jesus. They were eyewitnesses that Jesus had risen again. But more than that, they had been taught by Jesus during his life. And therefore, they had a unique authority. They'd been empowered to share the teachings and the good news of Jesus with others. Now, sometimes you might hear legal experts talk about how a court eyewitness is not the most reliable testimony. And that's because they say, it's because we tend to have distortions of, of memory in our minds. Because a lot of what we recall, we filter and we interpret in our minds before we share it with others. But once you start getting two or more eyewitnesses, and those two eyewitnesses are saying the same things. In other words, what they claim they saw, if those two accounts match, or three accounts match, all of a sudden that testimony becomes a lot more reliable. So here in the book of Acts, we, we, have, we have not one, two, or three, but 12 men who claim to be eyewitnesses of the resurrection of Jesus. They knew him during his life. They'd been taught by him. They knew that he went to the cross. They witnessed it. They were there. They saw that he had died. They saw that he was buried. But then all of them had had encounters with the risen Jesus. So you see, their testimony is reliable. And that's why they've been given this special authority as apostles of the early church. There never will be any other apostles. These are the only ones that will have ever existed. Uh, You can only witness an event once. And so we see that the early church is devoted to their teaching. But where is this teaching preserved? Well, it's preserved in the New Testament. It's preserved for us in the New Testament. New Testament was either written by the apostles or by their direct disciples. So as an example, Paul, who witnessed the the risen Jesus on the road to Damascus, he became an apostle because he was a witness to the risen Jesus, wrote books like Ephesians, Galatians, 1st and 2nd Corinthians. He wrote about half the New Testament. Peter, uh, sometimes called Simon Peter, wrote 1st and 2nd Peter. Now Luke, who wrote the Gospel of Luke and also the book of Acts, he was one of Peter's disciples. And then John, uh, one of Jesus' disciples, he wrote the Gospel of John, as well as the letters, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, as well as the book of Revelation, which I understand you all just studied as a church. So all of the scriptures have apostolic authority and that's preserved for us. So then what does it look like for us to model the early church in their devotion to the apostles' teaching? Well, it's that we should be devoted to the Bible, to God's word. We should be studying it, interacting with it daily. And we should be using it to interpret the world around us. So I've found this illustration pretty helpful. So you can think of the Bible sort of like a window. So like a good and a clear window, when you look through it, 
It's gonna help you accurately see what's going on outside, right? So in the same way, as we come to understand the scriptures, as they kind of sink down into our hearts, it becomes like a clear window to us through which we can interpret the world. Well, not only is the Bible like a window, it's also like a mirror. So just like when you look into a good mirror, a good clear mirror to see what you really look like, the more we know and understand God's word, the more it penetrates our hearts, the better we can see ourselves. And we see ourselves in the light of how God has created us. We see ourselves according to his purposes for us. And so the Bible is both a mirror and a window. But our problem is that too often we prefer to look through other windows, I think, right? So instead of saturating ourselves with the Bible, we saturate ourselves with things like media and entertainment, and those become our windows. Some of us inundate ourselves with news and politics. And all of these become the windows through which we view the world. Now, I'm not saying that they're not true, There's certainly truth outside of the Bible, but it's not all God's truth. That's the Bible. It's the highest truth. And so when we look through other windows, we get a distorted picture of the things around us. In the same way, we look at ourselves using different mirrors as well. Think about this. How much much value or how much do you view yourself by your career success? Or how much, how much do you view yourself by how good you look or what other people think about you? So when we use these things as our mirrors to see, what we really, to see who we really are, we get, we get, all we get is a distorted picture of ourselves. We start to believe lies about who we are. But the Bible tells a different story about us. It tells us that we were created in love by God We were created for his glory and in his image. But it also tells us that our sin and sinful nature corrupted both that image of God in us as well as led us to abandon the purposes that he had for us. But the good news is that God sent his son to die on the cross. And he did that to reconcile us us to him so that we can once again live as we were created to live in deep relationship with him as his children. Is that how you see yourself? If you're in Christ, that's who you are. So are you looking in the right mirror? Are you seeing yourself in light of what the Bible tells you you are? God tells us, God calls the church to be devoted to the word, just like that. But God also calls the church to fellowship and to care for one another. So look back at verse 42 with me. It says that these Christians were devoted to fellowship and the breaking of the bread. And then if you skip down to verse 44, it says, and all who believed were together and had all things in common. They were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts. See, what's, like, what's going on here is, is that all throughout the week, these early Christians are fellowshipping, fellowshipping with each other regularly. It says day in and day out. 
They devoted themselves to the breaking of the bread, which is definitely a reference to the Lord's Supper. It's a reference to communion. But they're doing this in the context of a much larger meal, probably some kind of like Sunday feast. And they were so tight-knit that they knew about the physical needs of their fellow brothers and sisters. And whenever there was a need, they gave or sold possessions to meet that need. Such a beautiful picture. I would guess that probably uh, the thing that we have missed most during this pandemic is just being in one another's presence, isn't it? It's just gathering together. One of the things that I noticed about myself, once we started socially distancing and also limiting how many people could come here in our sanctuary for Sunday services, is that I just lost touch with a lot of people. Maybe you had the same experience. It's because I wasn't seeing them regularly. And in many ways, I kind of forgot about them. I didn't, know, uh, uh, I didn't know what they might need, how they were doing, if they were struggling in any way. And you see, it's in our regular interaction with other people in the church that we come to know others. And it's also in being regular interaction with people in the church where we come to be known by others. That is just part of the fundamental purpose of the church. And I think that in an increasingly lonely and isolated society where young people report the most significant, the highest numbers of feelings of loneliness, I think in such a society as ours, the church can be an oasis of fellowship. So as we come out of this pandemic, my hope for you, Mosaic, is that you will recommit to regular physical fellowship. There can never be a replacement for that kind of care that you can get in one another's presence by sharing life with one another. So that's what God created you for. You need others. But I also find it challenging in these verses that these early Christians were so willing to share and to give of their possessions whenever there was a need. Now, this is not communism. There's no state that's forcing wealth redistribution here. And as we see later on in Acts, Christians still held private property. In fact, um, here in verse 46, it says that they were breaking bread in their homes. So they hadn't divested themselves of personal property. And this passage is not calling us to that. But nonetheless, they are making enormous financial and material sacrifices to support the church and those who are in need. So in, uh, in AD 300, so about, about 1,700 years ago, the emperor of Rome was a man named Julian. And Julian was sort of this religious reformer. What he wanted Rome to do was to leave Christianity and go back to its old pagan ways and start worshiping the pantheon of gods that they had always worshipped. But there was a big challenge to this, and this was Christianity. <laughs> uh, in his eyes, the problem was that Christians were just so kind, they, they, they showed so much more care and concern for the poor that Christianity was just an altogether more attractive religion. He wrote in a letter to one of his high priests, I'll, I'll try to get this on the screen for you, it's disgraceful that, he calls them the impious Christians, support not only their own poor, but ours as well, in that all men see that our people lack aid from us. 
See, a care for the poor was a mark of the early church, so much so that it just aggravated Julian, whose pagan religion showed little concern for those in need. So God calls us to live in this kind of intense fellowship with one another and to be deeply concerned for one another's needs and to meet those needs with what we have in our possession. So are you marked by that kind of fellowship and that, that level of generosity? Well, finally, I want us to see that God calls the church to public worship and to be a witness to their community through that public worship. Look with me again at verse 42. It tells us that the early church was devoted not only to the apostles' teaching, but they were devoted to the breaking of bread and to prayer. So I think here we get a little bit of an insight into what a Sunday morning might have looked like in the early church. The apostles would teach, they would pray, and then they would celebrate the Lord's Supper. They would have communion together. This is what their public worship looked like, teaching and preaching of the word, prayer, and celebration of communion. Does that sound familiar? Christians have been doing this since the dawn of the church. These are the things that should always be part of the church's public worship. So we might call these the formal aspects of church worship. Uh, But a writer that I came across as I was studying for this sermon, he pointed out that, yes, there's formal aspects, but there's also informal aspects that we see here, informal aspects to to their worship that we see here in this passage. Look at verse 46 with me. It says that they were attending the temple together and they were breaking bread in their homes. So not all of their worship is just happening on Sunday mornings when they gather together. It's happening all throughout the week. It's happening in public places in the temple and it's happening in private places at home. And there was this joy and gladness in their worship. Verse 47 says that day in and day out, they were praising God. And this was seen by outsiders, by unbelievers. And it says that they had favor with all people. I mean, that's just kind of unbelievable in our modern minds that that Christians would have favor with their surrounding culture. But there was something that was so attractive about their public worship that that outsiders wanted to become insiders. God used their public witness of fellowship and worship to bring others to Christ. It says that there were many being added to their number day by day. So I find this example to be particularly challenging. And it's because I think we often think that we just need to preach the gospel. That's our job. That's how we interact with the culture. We just preach the gospel. All we gotta do is just speak the truth to unbelievers and then trust the Lord to use our words to bring others to faith. And this this is certainly true. Truth is important, don't get me wrong. But here, the example of the early church, it challenges us to witness publicly with our very lives. And not just on an individual level. You can see here that outsiders are given glimpses inside the Christian community as they worship in the temple, as they worship in their neighborhoods. And it's that kind of loving community that's attractive. So I ask you, would your unbelieving neighbors or your coworkers, would they be attracted to the type of fellowship that you have 
with your Christian brothers and sisters? Is, is your relationship with your church family marked by love and deep one another care so that an outsider might wonder what is different about you? And can I be a part of it? I think too often we live our Christian lives in privacy or we segregate our believing friends from our unbelieving friends because we don't wanna create an awkward situation or in many cases we fear what our unbelieving friends will think about us. See, that's not what these Christians were doing. They were living publicly and in their radical kindness, their radical love and their radical generosity to those who were in need They had favor with all people. They were attractive. They were so attractive that their public witness was causing the growth of the church. So think about this. It wasn't some kind of nifty church program. It wasn't really, it wasn't awesome, relevant music. It wasn't a charismatic preacher. It was just Christians living out their calling in such a way way that others could see it. It's that simple. It's simple, but it's hard, I'll admit. But it is that simple. And while this is hard, it's such a refreshing model for us. I mean, what a challenging model for us too. And Jesus, before the night he went to the cross to bear the sin of the entire world, he gave a new commandment to his disciples. This is what he says. A new commandment I give to you that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. It's our love for one another that will reveal the glory of Jesus to an unbelieving world. So again, I ask, what should the church do? What should it focus on coming out of this pandemic? Well, it's this stuff. It's getting back to the basics. We should devote ourselves to God's word, to fellowship and mutual care, and to living public lives of worship so that others can see us. This is the beautiful picture of the life of the living church. And God calls us to that same purpose. Let me pray. Father in heaven, we do thank you for this picture of the life of a living church. Father, I pray that you help us. You help us as we, as we move forward in our church lives to live lives that are just more consistent with your calling on us, to love one another deeply, to seek unity rather than division, and to worship with all of our lives so that others can see it. We thank you for your church. It is your gift to your people. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.